greetings and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I, as always, your humble yet glorious and awesome host, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. Another hot summer day here in Knoxville, but man, we've got a big, big show, as always, in store for you. We got plenty of stuff in the world of wrestling. The summer with professional wrestling is getting hotter and hotter. It's going to be amazing. Of course, we've got just other crazy stuff. Wimbledon in action as we record this. Plenty of other big stuff, but of course, we got to hop into the big news of the week, and that is the U.S. Women's National Team is your World Cup champions back-to-back times and also for the fourth time in the history of the World Cup. They won it four times, which I think is the same amount, uh, half the amount of times that they've had it. They've only had eight of these, and the women of the United States have won four of them, 1991, 1999, 2015, and 2019. So it is another great run for the women. We've talked all about so many of these great matchups that they had. They didn't Too bad it wasn't happening much later in this World Cup because that would have been awesome as well. And then, of course, the great matchup against England. And then they faced Netherlands, who, by the way, only in their second World Cup. You've got to watch out. The women of the United States need to be aware of Europe. Europe is on the rise. It was the United States and then seven other European nations in the quarterfinals. So, again, watch out, ladies of the United States. And, of course, they're always going to be in it because the United States has such a huge talent pool. And Title IX, of course, is a big deal with just pretty much legally requiring and allowing women to participate in sports on uh, a much more level playing field than you have in a lot of other countries. And of course, we'll get to equal pay here in just a moment. But of course, taking on the Netherlands, who again made the finals in only their second World Cup appearance. It was great to see orange and white on the field. It made it look like Tennessee had something to do with this, which they obviously didn't. But it was still great to see. But again, the U.S. women's national team defeating the Netherlands 2-0. Megan Rapino, Donald Trump's favorite soccer player in the entire world. Ice cold, as always, knocking home a penalty kick in the 61st minute. And again, they had to use VAR to review it, but I do think that was the right call. It should have been a penalty kick, and it was. But then Rose Lavelle with just an absolutely beautiful goal in the 69th minute, just weaving through defenders, splitting the uh, middle defenders, and then rocketing a shot home off the left foot. It was beautiful to see, and that just pretty much put the result. Uh, there was there was no conflict at that point. We pretty much knew, barring some sort of miracle, that the U.S. was going to win this, and they did. Again, just an amazing World Cup as well. Viewership was top, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But again, awards coming out for everybody. Megan Rapinoe had not only the golden ball for being the MVP of this World Cup, but also the golden boot for the top goal scorer. Also in the golden ball running, uh, the silver ball was Lucy Bronze of England. And then you had Rose Lavelle, who of course got that last goal in, in, the, uh, in the final. She got the bronze ball. And again, Rapina with a golden boot for top goal scorer. The golden glove went to Sari Van Venada, I believe is her name. She was the goaltender for the Netherlands. And yes, she gave up these two goals, but she stopped a whole lot of goals uh, or shots rather 
in the first half especially. She was the only reason that the U.S. and Netherlands were both tied nil-nil. It could have been a lot worse for the Netherlands in this one because the U.S. again was on the attack. And it was amazing because, yes, the Netherlands did get some shots, but nowhere near what some of these other teams like England and France had been able to do against the United States. The U.S., of course, just keeping up that pressure with the attack. And uh, Vendenal just did, again, a great job in goal. She deserved the Golden Glove for being the top goal scorer. The Young Player Award went to uh, Julia Gwynn of Germany, and the Fair Play Award went to the host nation of France. Ratings had come in. The uh, ratings, we had 14 million people watching on the television on Fox. And again, because this uh, matchup happened here in the U.S., it happened, it started at 11 o'clock, even though it was on a, on a Sunday, it was still, again, maybe not the higher level of watching because, again, happening early on a Sunday, a lot of people were at church or brunch or what have you, um, compared to the 2015 final where 25 million people watched. But since that game took place in North America, up in Canada, uh, it would, took place in the evening here in the U.S. with the U.S. facing Japan. That one had 25 million people watching. But, of course, again, a lot has changed in four years with code cord cutting and all those different things. But still, a lot of people watching, even compared to the Men's World Cup final. And, yes, it was between France and Croatia, so the U.S. was not involved in it. But still, only 11.5 million people watched that one. So, again, that brings the big debate. Again, this is, again, another just great and fantastic women's national team. It's right up there with all of them. They won. This is the fourth time the ladies have won. To me, the most memorable Women's World Cup champions are always going to be the 99 ladies, you know, with, with Mia Hamm and Brandi Chastain and Julie Foudy uh, and all, all those girls, Michelle Akers and all of them that were involved in that one. You had just the, the great save by Brianna Scurry in the penalty kick shootout. I mean, that game took place in the Rose Bowl, a packed 90,000 strong in the Rose Bowl to watch a women's soccer game as the women in, uh, of the U.S. and China went to battle. No goals scored in regulation or an extra time goes to the shootout. And of course, Brianna Scurry making the save uh, against China. And then, of course, Brandy Chastain, we all know it, we've seen it, she puts the goal in the back of the net, she takes her shirt off, it's a great celebration, one of the most wonderful things that has happened. But this team, right up there, they've made a lot of big social impacts, and we'll see what happens with all of this, because now the big fight is going to be, and we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, is the... Uh, U.S. Women's National Team has sued the U.S. Soccer Federation in a fight for equal pay. There has been just this big discrepancy. We've talked about it. The women, for example, they got with the Victory Tour and all these other friendlies that they're going to be playing now that they won and advanced and won the World Cup, they're getting uh, a $250,000 bonus for winning. The men, if they ever won it, which, by the way, they lost the Gold Cup to Mexico again, and again, the U.S. men's team isn't even the best team on the continent let alone the region, they're losing to Mexico on a regular basis right now. Uh, They lost the Gold Cup 1-0 on Sunday night as well. But the men, if they ever, for some reason, ended up winning the World Cup, they'd get a $1.1 million bonus. So there's a discrepancy there. You also look at the men. Again, the women win, and Americans like winners. We all love winners. Winners 
are who we should enjoy a heck of a lot more. And the women have won now four World Cups. They've also won four gold medals. The men have won none of those. The women also in this last World Cup cycle have generated $900,000 more revenue despite half the cost spent on development between the men's and women's uh, programs. So, again, when we answer this question and when we talk about should women, the U.S. women, get equal pay compared to the men, in the U.S. Soccer Federation level, domestically, yes, they should. They absolutely should. They're more successful. They outdraw the men for the most part. All these different things. Yes, the women should get equal pay. When it comes to the international level in FIFA as a whole, should they get equal pay? No, because there is a lot of discrepancy between that. Again, women's soccer around the world is just not as popular and you can see all of that when it comes to ratings and all these different things around the world. You, again, this can't be, this isn't a zero-sum game. This isn't an emotional uh, thing we need to see. Now, again, the, the women's team and the, the U.S. Soccer Federation, they're going to have mediation starting here now that the World Cup is over. But, again, this isn't some sort of emotional response. You need to be and think about this. And that's what gets so many people in trouble with a lot of issues, especially socially and even economically. When you're thinking on emotions, you have to take that step back and look at the numbers. Whether you agree with them or not, the numbers, for the most part, don't lie. And again, you can spin them in a lot of different ways, but they don't lie. When you look at, say, for example, at the FIFA level, with the 2018 Men's World Cup that just happened in Russia last year, it... Uh, there was $6 billion that was generated from that Men's World Cup. $6 billion with a B. The uh, men were given, the, the, the teams that participated in that, 7% of that $6 billion, $420 million, was given and distributed between all the participating teams in that one. Whereas the Women's World Cup only generated, it looks like from best figures that we see, only $131 million. And they're still getting, though, a larger percentage of the pie. They're getting 20% of that $131 million. Now, yes, $26.2 million, which is what the women or teams are getting and distributed compared to the $420 million. There's still a big discrepancy there, but you can see how much more money the men's game accumulates when you talk about the it, the domestic leagues and the Premier League, the Bundesliga, Serie A, uh, the, the Spanish League, all of these big things in all of this, whereas you look at what the women's, sure, you can watch some of the women's uh, Champions League matches that they have in Europe, but you're not getting wall-to-wall coverage like you do the men. And yes, is that on some of these sponsors and people taking more of a risk on women's athletics? Absolutely. But it's the same thing when you look at the NBA compared to the WNBA. The WNBA has carved out a nice little niche for themselves, and they're talking about bigger pay there. But when you look at it from the numbers standpoint, it, you don't have the whole thing that the NBA does with all the money that the NBA generates. So, again, you have to look at it from that way as well. You can talk about emotional things all you want. I want women's professional sports to be viable. 
it needs to be, and it's entertaining. It's great to have some of these things. It's great to have an alternative. I can't watch summer league basketball all summer long. I gotta watch something where people are actually competing for things, like the WNBA or the Women's Professional Soccer League. If you want to help the women's uh, game grow and get a better balance of equal pay, especially here domestically, we need to all get out and watch the uh, the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, that is happening. It's been happening for a while. It's been a, a league for years now. But again, when you look at the, the, the places they play, there's barely anybody at these games. But you have the option to watch it because it's streaming on Yahoo Sports, so you can watch it online anytime. All the games are streamed on Yahoo. And also ESPN doing a really good thing and picking up 14 games to finish out the season that they have. I think it ends in October. So you can watch 14 of these games nationally on ESPN. So again, you want this to be successful, you got to watch, you got to pay attention to it, you got to tweet about it, you got to get those things out there. I'm going to do my part when I can of watching it. Because again, I like actually watching games, just seeing, watching hours and hours of coverage of NFL preseason and summer league in the NBA is not fun to me at all. Because guess what? Yeah, they're keeping score, but it doesn't really count. So again, you want these different options, you want viable options, you have to participate there. You have to make women's sports, especially when we're talking the women's national team, you have to make it more than just a f- every four-year thing. You've got to pay attention to it, watch them domestically and all that. And these women are ready to carry the load. Rapino is very outspoken. Some of you might not agree with her. Some of you do. Uh, you know, you've got Alex Morgan, you've got Rose Lavelle, you've got, you know, Alyssa Nair, the goalie who made the great penalty kick uh, save in the game against England. You know, you've got Morgan Press and Carly Lloyd who are getting a little older, but you've got a lot of young talent coming up. You know, you've got uh, Julie Ertz, so many of these great women who can be faces of women's athletics, and it's great to see. But again, they can go out there and play their game, but you need to be watching, and they're going to do their best to make it interesting. So I'm excited to see where this goes. But again, to to put a bow on all of this, do I think that they need, the women's national team needs to get equal pay with the men's national team? Absolutely. Based on the results on the field and based on the dollar amount of the revenue that they generate compared to what they do with the men, again, the women win, the men don't right now. And then it's the same thing, though, on an international level. With FIFA, no, they don't deserve equal pay at that point based on the figures and the ratings and all these other things that happen there. So again, you can have both. And then I hope we'll see what happens when these conclusions come out. And of course, we'll break all of that down here on Modern Day Gladiators. So that's going to put a bow, of course, on all the great Women's World Cup action. Thank you guys for listening to all of that. I have sure enjoyed talking about it. And we'll see. Of course, the, the, the one last thing we'll see with the results of all of this Women's World Cup that's yet to be determined. One, is there going to be some sort of new deal come through this mediation with the Women's National Team and the Soccer Federation? And also, are the women going to be invited to the White House? Because it seems interesting that President Trump stated back on June 26th after the video of Megan Rapino saying that she's not going to go to the White House. She said it a little more colorfully than I can hear. But uh, also, Trump then went out and said on June 26th that he said, you know, the women's national team is uh, win or lose. They are have an open invite to the White House. And then when he was asked about this later, 
he has now said that he said he'd think about it, and we haven't fully determined that yet. So I don't know if he's forgotten about it or backing off on it. We'll see what happens with that. And, of course, we'll talk plenty about that here on Modern Day Gladiators. But let's move now to the domestic uh, sports with basketball. NBA free agency, of course, is still going crazy. It didn't happen, of course, <laughs> last week. It would have been great to have Kawhi Leonard have made that decision because we would go could have talked about all of this in one fell swoop, but we didn't. Of course, I talked about Kawhi Leonard uh, and Paul George moving to the Clippers back on social media. Of course, that's why we have it. You can follow me on social media at Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter and Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook and Instagram. You can check us out. I do daily updates or updates when news breaks. I got a minute. I can break it all down there and talk about it and offer my opinions there before obviously going more in depth here on the podcast. So always check that out there. And of course, you can check all of Outlander Media stuff out at Outlander Media on social media. And of course, outlandermedia.net. You can check out all the other great shows, including uh, Haffle and DLC Respawn, you know, uh, Night Terrors, Deadbeat Radio, everything else we've got in the pipes. You can check all of that out. It's going to be great. The Phantasm Podcast is there as well. So we've got plenty of awesome stuff to do. And again, you can go to outlandermedia.net where you've got everything right there on the website. But again, wherever you get your fine podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, check us out. Like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews. If you like us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us that feedback, of course, at outlandermedia at gmail.com. And of course, again, comment and all that great stuff. Share it. Share that podcast if you like it. We want to get out into that algorithm and make us bigger and badder than everything. So again, we appreciate it. But let's dive again back into NBA free agency. Again, as I've mentioned, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are now on the Clippers, which again, they have rejected playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis, mostly Kawhi Leonard, because that would have created another one of these super teams. It's really interesting where you look at the Western Conference in the NBA, and I've mentioned this already, I am so excited for a little bit more parity because it had been just LeBron versus the Warriors for so long, then LeBron moved to Los Angeles. It was still waiting on to see who the Warriors were going to play in the finals. Now you've got so many questions coming out of the West. You've got, of course, LeBron and Anthony Davis with the Lakers. You've got uh, you know, Kawhi with Paul George with the Clippers. You've got the Jazz and Nuggets who are reloading and adding talent. They're going to be great teams as well. The Warriors are still there. You've got Steph Curry, Klay Thompson when he gets back from injury, and Draymond Green. They're all still there. The Blazers are going to get better. The Rockets, if <laughs> if Harden and Paul can get along, the Rockets can still make a big run. So it's great to see right now we have no idea who's going to come out of the West. Meanwhile, the Eastern Conference, uh, there's a lot of questions there as well. There's parity, but it's not going to be as exciting parity as it looks like the West is going to be. Still, with Kawhi leaving, that trade that Toronto made with the Spurs for Kawhi Leonard, giving up uh, DeRozan, is still just, it was totally worth it for Toronto. They got their title. And that's what's been making all of these moves so big when you look at everything that's been happening in the NBA. They see this Kawhi Leonard trade and it worked. And you see, hey, we've got some pieces. Let's win now. So they're making these choices to win now. And that's what's been so great about all this free agency. We'll see what happens this year with the East with, you know, 
is a Greek freak is Giannis Antetokounmpo and everybody there with the Bucks. What's going to happen with them? Uh, are they going to be able to make a run now that uh, Kawhi has moved on? Are the Nets going to be able to be okay without Kevin Durant? Yeah, they've got Kyrie Irving. We'll see what happens there because, again, Kevin Durant is not going to be able to play at all this next season. The 76ers with Tobias Harris, uh, Simmons and uh, Joel Embiid, are they going to be able to put everything together? The, the Celtics with Kemba Walker, we'll see what happens there. The one big chess piece we'll be interested to see that's left is if Russell Westbrook is going to leave uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder because if he moves somewhere, again, this can all shift, and of course we'll talk all about that and much more on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. And of course, it's good to have parity, and we'll see, of course, the big thing and just that one asterisk, not really an asterisk, but just one big factor we'll see is how much Zion Williamson is going to make an impact in his rookie year. I don't see the Pelicans making a playoff, but they have stockpiled some talent there in terms of draft picks, so we'll see what they can build around Zion Williamson there down in the Big Easy. And speaking of of being easy. We got to thank Joe Shirt for making things very easy for us here at the Outlander Media Network when it comes to getting shirts. They have provided some great, beautifully comfortable shirts. And of course, we got more on the way. We're going to have Modern Day Gladiators merch coming very soon. So stick around for that. But again, they're great. They're easy to work with. If you just go to joeshirt.com, you can talk with these guys. They've been in business for more than 30 years here in Knoxville. So again, they can hook you up with any type of shirt where you can talk about your branding, your your softball team, your family reunion, any type of thing that you have an idea that you want to put it on a shirt, work with Joe Shirt. They also can help you with their premium services, talking about like mugs and banners and pens and all different types of things. So work with them. And again, check out joeshirt.com for all the information there. And we thank them as always for being part of the Outlander Media Network family. That is going to wrap up this first part of Modern Day Gladiators, the podcast. Thank you guys again for hanging out with me. We'll be back with shibbles and bits and everything going on in the world of professional wrestling right after this here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Time, as always, for Shibbles and Bits here on the second half of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. I still, the Ace of Tennessee Sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here, and of course, still the uncrowned champion of being the fastest person at Outlander Media. Still waiting for them to organize and get this race lined up. I'm waiting for them, and we'll see what happens. But let's dive in to Shibbles and Bits, talking about great athletic performances. The Home Run Derby just happened, and my goodness, balls were flying out of the ballpark like crazy. It was a great matchup between two rookies. We have uh, rookie Pete Alonso of the Mets and defeating rookie Vladimir Guerrero Jr., of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and again, Pete Alonso was of the Mets, which is about the only good thing that's probably going to happen to the Mets all season long. It, again, just craziness. And again, they've changed. It, you don't have the 10 outs anymore like you'd had for so long in the Home Run Derby. Now there's a time limit and all these different things. You get bonuses for matching certain things and all those cool things. 
But again, Vladimir Guerrero uh, broke the Derby's single round record in his first two rounds, both times, which was amazing. He had just a crazy uh, semifinal match with uh, Penderson from the Dodgers where they had to go to three extra uh, swing-offs or whatnot. Uh, where uh, and Penderson had a record 99 total home runs. Uh, yeah, just craziness going around. Of course, Vladimir Guerrero was trying to uh, repeat what his dad did back in 2007, winning the home run derby. Uh, it was just amazing. But Guerrero just finally, I think, just ran out of gas in the final. Still hit 22 home runs in the final, but uh, Pete Alonso was able to hit that 23rd and get the win. And that gave him a nice million-dollar first prize, Guerrero winning 500000 for coming in second, which is just funny to me because both Alonso and Guerrero on their rookie contracts are only making about $500,000 each for this season. So the fact that Guerrero pretty much doubled his salary and Pete Alonso got two times his salary worth for a night's work for just hitting a whole bunch of balls over the fence. Congratulations to those guys. What a great night. We'll see. I doubt the All-Star game is going to be any uh, more entertaining than that. But, hey, oh, the All-Star game is always fun. And it just a good matchup, even though with interleague play, it's kind of killed the, uh, j- the greatness of it for so much because since interleague plays happen, you get AL and NL stars playing against each other all the time. You also have, for a long time, the American League and National League trades only happened between leagues. You didn't get a guy going from the Dodgers in the National League to the Yankees in the American League in a trade. That didn't happen for a long, long time just because, or it was rare that it happened. So, again, some of the stuff is worn off from the All-Star game, but still, always fun to have something to do. I miss it because with the All-Star game, it was always like the night of the All-Star game at midnight was always the release of the newest NCAA football game for the PlayStation every year. But since EA killed that, uh, that hasn't happened for some time now. I miss my college football video games. I miss being the only way I can get Tennessee to a national championship is playing them in a video game. So, But hey, I'll take what I can get. Still fun, again, to watch the All-Star game. Meanwhile, across the pond over at the All England Club there at Wimbledon, you've got the the tennis matchup is going crazy as always. The women's side has been far more entertaining than the men's side has been so far. The top seven seeds on the women's side are out. Um, The quarterfinals, you had Serena Williams uh, moving into now the semifinals. Uh, beating Allison Risky, another American who knocked out uh, the number one seed, Ashley Barty, the French Open champion, uh, back in the previous round. Also, the seven seed, Simona Halep, uh, is moved on to the semifinals, but it, back in the fourth round, she finally ended the run of 15 year old American Coco Goff. Uh, in the fourth round. Again, Goff, the youngest qualifier ever, and the fact that she made it all the way to the fourth round was just amazing to see. And again, with, with women's tennis especially, she's only 15, and yes, so many people are ready to crown her the next big thing, but we gotta wait, because sometimes with these younger players, they don't always pan out the way we think they're going to, but I think things are in store for him. She's got, it looks like, from what I have, I have read and have listened to her talk, She's got a really good head on her shoulders. Her parents very supportive, always there cheering her. So we'll see how that develops. But again, a great run by Coco Golf. We'll see 
maybe she makes a run in the U.S. Open. We'll see what happens there. Meanwhile, on the men's side, you still got the usual suspects. Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and Roger Federer all into the quarterfinals with ease. The only one who had some sort of problem was Nadal. Uh, he was in in the second round. He had a big matchup against Australian uh, Nick Kyrgios. Uh, Nadal was able to win uh, 6-3, 3-6, 7-6, 7-6. But again, the biggest thing that happened from that at the All England Club was Nick Kyrgios uh, at one point was getting frustrated and aimed a ball deliberately at, uh, at Nadal and uh, he, again, Nadal was able to deflect it with his racket, uh, but and Nadal then went and just beat the snot out of him after that. And of course, Kira goes, he won't apologize. He's like, why would I apologize? I mean, the dude has got how many slams, how much money in the bank account? I think he can take a ball to the chest, bro. I'm not going to apologize him at all. And again, Kyrgios, for those of you who don't know, is just a big baby. He's got so much talent. If you watch him play tennis when he cares, he has so much talent. But he's just a big baby all the time. He whines, he complains when things aren't going his way. He just lays the ball out there, makes it easy for the other guy to return it. He walks off. He just, I don't want to play anymore. Just a big baby. Dude, you're playing professional tennis for a living. You're playing a game for a living, and you can make a lot of money doing it. Be happy about that. I would love to be in your shoes at that point. So just stop whining. And when you've got so much talent, dude, get your head right and you could be a major champion, which is good because we need a couple more because who knows what's going to happen once Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer can't play anymore. They're just going to keep winning if the rest, none of these other guys in men's tennis step up. That's my piece on it. Again, Kyrgios, stop being a baby. Play. You've got the talent. Use it for crying out loud. If I had your talent... And the brain that I have right now, pretty sure I'd be winning some multiple Grand Slams at this point. So, again, Kira goes, you talk to me, I'll tell you. I'll smack you in the head and say, hey, quit being a baby. Play. So, that would be my technique, again, for him. But, apparently, he's just going to whine and complain about it. So, again, again, we'll see what happens. Of course, we'll talk all about the finals here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. Meanwhile, in something completely different than the, you know, the just wonderful, you know, air of uh, wonderfulness that is and, uh, you know, straight laces that is at the All England Club at Wimbledon, uh, you have the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest that happened, of course, on the 4th of July. Congratulations again to Joey Chestnut uh, Jaws. He ate 71 hot dogs and buns to secure his 12th title. At the annual event held there uh, in in New York. Oh my goodness, what, again, an amazing, just wonderful display of gluttony on all things. Uh, the California native far exceeded his nearest competitors, didn't quite make or pass the 74 dog mark he reached last year, which was the record. Again, 71, still a lot. 74, it's, obsc- it, it, it's a lot of hot dogs. I get full after two. I don't know what the heck goes on with these guys. Also, congratulations to Miki Sudo, uh, the Japanese who won the women's competition, chomping down 31 hot dogs. Uh, the 33-year-old, she fell short of her total last year of 37 Frankfurters, but earned her sixth consecutive title, uh, beating runner-up Michelle Lesko, who only wolfed down to 26 hot dogs. 
Of course, the women's record is 45 hot dogs, held by Sonya the Black Widow Thomas. They both took home $10,000 and a mustard-seeded belt there on Coney Island for the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. So, again, congratulations to all of them for enjoying that. It's always interesting to see it on the uh, 4th of July weekend before you start wolfing down all of your hot dogs. A little bit of sad news as we wrap up shibbles and bits here. I want to send out in the SEC, in the world of college football, when you lose somebody, no matter if it's a rival or whatnot, when someone passes away who means so much to a different school, uh, school, you have to take pause for it. And again, I don't like anything that Florida does at all. Hate the Gators and everything that they're about. But they did have one big fan, and that was uh, their famous cheerleader, Mr. Two Bits, George Edmondson Jr., he passed away uh, at the age of 97. He was one of the great traditions in college football and especially there in Florida. He was there as a, a the most famous cheerleader in Florida history for 60 years, riling up the crowds at games. The uh, it, it was just a, a great cheer. You know, any, any of you who have been to the Swamp and have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. The two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar, all for the Gators, stand up and holler. The only way I'm ever going to say that is because paying tribute to this man, never going to say, you're never going to hear those words out of my mouth ever with any type of reverence ever on this podcast or ever again. So just enjoy it here. But again, he is great. And again, he's one of these fans where, again, you don't have to use profanity to be a big diehard fan. You don't have to do it at all. And he was one of these guys. It, it, it was great. The, the history of the two-bitch cheer started in 1949. He was in the stands at Florida Field when fans were booing the Gators. They took the field for the season opener against the Citadel. Um, and then he decided to cheer and encouraged others to join him. So again, he did the two-bitch cheer. The routine took hold and quickly became just a well-known figure at games. Always, and he wore the same outfit, khaki pants, yellow dress shirt, orange and blue striped tie, uh, brown and beige saddle shoes. He would move from section to section, blow a whistle around his neck, and he'd hold up the two-bit sign, and the fans in that area would do the cheer. He'd also do it during stoppages in play. Also, uh, it became a tradition that before games, he would run out onto the field and they would do it. I remember I was at the Tennessee-Florida game in 2003. I was down there. And they did the cheer there in the crowd again, just ate it up. It was, it's an amazing experience, whether you're a diehard Tennessee fan like myself, still an amazing atmosphere uh, down there. And again, he, he kind of hung up his whistle back in, uh, he retired from it back in 2008. He never attended Florida, which is one of the great things. He was never a Florida grad. He was named an honorary alumnus back in 2005. But after 2008, uh, different well-known Florida uh, people had always been there as honorary two bits for big games like uh, Steve Spurrier, Danny Warfel, uh, Chris Collinsworth, uh, Titus O'Neil, uh, WWE superstar, Dara Torres. They've all dressed up and worn the, the, the t-shirt, the yellow shirt, and the tie, and everything and done it. So again, 97, a great life for Edmondson. Rest in peace. And again, you're, it's a piece of college football history, and it's one of the ones here in the SEC that we cherish and love that tradition. So rest in peace, uh, Mr. Two-Bits, you will be missed. 
That's going to wrap up, of course, this part of Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Let's move into the world of professional wrestling, and there is a lot to cover. We're going to do it really quickly here as we get down to the nitty-gritty, but my goodness, the summer of wrestling is off and running, and of course, it started with the G1 Climax in New Japan. For those of you who don't know, the G1 Climax... You've got two blocks. You've got 20 wrestlers divided into two blocks, the A block and the B block. They wrestle in a round-robin format in each block. You get two points for a win, one point for a 30-minute time limit draw, and zero points for a loss. Whoever has the most points out of each block moves on to the final. Those two guys will wrestle each other, the winners of each block, and then the winner of that gets a title shot for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom. The A Block this year got underway for the first time on American soil down in Dallas. There was a lively crowd. It didn't quite fill the arena, but my goodness, they were loud. They were rambunctious. It was great to see Americans, especially who just love New Japan. So that was great to see. You had uh, the results of the A Block matches. You had Lance Archer, the hometown boy, defeating Will Ospreay, who I think can make a deep run in this tournament, but Ospreay's off to a bad start. Also, Bad Luck Fale defeating Evil in a big Haas match there. Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr., both guys who I think could be big factors in this uh, block as well. Sonata gets the roll-up on Zack Sabre Jr., Kenta, uh, also known as Hideo Itami in NXT, has now moved back to New Japan. He defeating Kota Ibushi in, I think, one of the biggest upsets of the night. I do think Ibushi is a favorite to win this. Again, my pick for the whole thing is Tetsuya Naito uh, over in the B Block. And then, of course, you had the main event was just one more classic between Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Every other time they'd wrestled in the G1, it had always been a 30-minute draw. This is the first time, though, that Okada, with the Rainmaker, pins Tanahashi. A great atmosphere there in Dallas. As the A Block got underway, they're taking a week off to travel back to Japan, where the rest of the tournament will take place. The B Block getting underway starting on Sunday. I believe. So that will be amazing to see. Before we get into everything else going on in the world of wrestling, a, uh, a rest in peace also to uh, Pero Aguayo, the head of CMLL, one of the Lucha uh, Wrestling Federations in Mexico, passing away at the age uh, in his 60s. Sad to see him pass away. You saw Chris Jericho, very tearful on Instagram, paying tribute. Uh, Aguayo was one of the guys who gave Chris Jericho his first big shot internationally as a young wrestler. So, and again, he did that for a lot of guys down in Mexico and made them big names. So, again, another big wrestling figure gone uh, too soon. So, rest in peace, uh, Pedro Aguayo. You will be missed. Moving on to the WWE and everything frustrating about going on with them as Raw was just, again, again, now the fact that they've made this change where you cannot have any wrestling happen during breaks has just broken up so much momentum. Yes, you don't have to have all the matches happening during commercial breaks, but you can divide it up much better than this. You've got so many of these two out of three falls matches and other things are just breaking up continuity. It's it's frustrating and it's just ruining the rhythm of everything and it's driving me insane. I don't know if they're going to make changes to that once Heyman and Bischoff really get involved. Who knows at this point? But whether you like it or not, they've got another WWE pay-per-view coming up this Sunday. 
Let's run down the card. You got Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley in the last man standing match. By the way, this is extreme rules. So, of course, a lot of these have some sort of no DQ or hardcore stipulation. Who knows? Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, last man standing, going with Braun Strowman to get the win there. Ricochet versus AJ Styles for the United States Championship. As much as I really want Ricochet to win, AJ Styles has gotten back together with the Good Brothers, uh, Anderson and Gallows, uh, to reform the club. I've got AJ Styles getting the win there by uh, nefarious means. Aleister Black facing somebody, finally. He's out of the dark room. He's going to face somebody. I've got Aleister Black getting the win over whoever that is. Daniel Bryan and Rowan are going to defend their SmackDown Tag Team Championships against the New Day and Heavy Machinery in a triple threat match. Going with Daniel Bryan and Recyclable Rowan there. The Cruiserweight title on the line with Drew Gulak versus Tony Nese. I've got Gulak getting the win and retaining in that one. Bailey taking on Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross in a two-on-one handicap match for Alexa Bliss's SmackDown Championship. These matches always seem, every time you have a handicap match for a title, the the one who's defending always seems to win because they would never know how to divide that up. I like to think that that's going to stay, so I've got Bailey getting the win there. You've got Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe for the WWE Championship. I really, really, really want Samoa Joe to get the win here, but I don't see that happening. I think Samoa Joe does beat up Kofi Kingston really badly. But then I think uh, Kofi Kingston still gets the win, but I do have Brock Lesnar coming in and cashing in his Money in the Bank briefcase over Kofi Kingston. We'll, of course, talk about all the results next week on the podcast. You have just, again, a no-holds-barred tag match as The Undertaker will be teaming with Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. I'm going to go with The Undertaker and Roman Reigns. I don't know. I, I have no idea at this point. The stuff with Shane McMahon is driving me insane. It's frustrating. I'd, I'd have to devote a whole podcast to talking about the frustrations I've got with that. Then the main event is going to be a mixed tag match between Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch defending their Raw Women's and Universal Championships against Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. Guys, they have both already defeated repeatedly already. But now again, you've got Rollins and Becky Lynch. It's a tag match where whoever pins the other one, both of them win the title. So if Baron Corbin pins Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin wins that championship, while Lacey Evans also, even without doing a pin on Becky Lynch, wins the championship there. I'm going to go with Seth and Becky getting the win here, just because it's a stupid concept, and Baron Corbin and, and Lacey Evans have lost repeatedly to Seth and Becky. So that's where I'm going with that personally hopefully you guys will follow along and get that one but that's not it for everything going on over the weekend you've got the wwe's teaming with evolve one of the indie promotions where a lot of the wwe guys have gone through almost in a pipeline kind of thing to nxt uh this is the first ever non-wwe fully sponsored event that's going to be happening on the network it's evolve 131 it's also their 10th anniversary celebration you've got a couple of wwe guys on there also 205 live and all these other things mixing in two of the big matchups you need to see and check out you've got adam cole baby defending his nxt title against akira tozawa and then you've got, which would just be, this will be a great matchup. They had one at NXT a couple of months ago, but it's going to be really awesome to check out. Check this out. Drew Gulak versus Matt Riddle. That's going to be just a great wrestling match. Check that one out. It's going to be one to see. Meanwhile, the reason the WWE, part of the reason they're doing that is because on the same night, 
you've got AEW's having their third big event, and that is their fight for the fallen. It's happening in Jacksonville, and it's to benefit victims of gun violence and charity. Of course, you had the uh, shooting that happened uh, at that Madden tournament almost a year ago in Jacksonville, so they're raising money for victims and things there, which I think is really, really cool. Uh, run down the card here real quick. Brandy Rose versus Allie. I've got Brandy Rhodes getting the win there. Kenny Omega versus Sema. I've got Kenny Omega getting the win. That should be probably the match of the night. Cody, Cody and Dustin Rhodes, the Rhodes brothers, teaming up to take on the Young Bucks. I've got Cody and Dustin getting the win there. The Young Bucks have been trolling Cody and Dustin for their big moment that they had at Double or Nothing. You have Adam Hangman Page versus Kip Sabian. Adam Page is getting the win there. I do think Chris Jericho is going to make some sort of appearance, so be ready for that. Meanwhile, on the pre-show, you've got Jimmy Havoc, Darby Allin, and Joey Janela taking on the team of MJF, Sammy Guevara, and Sean Spears. I've got uh, MJF, Guevara, and Spears getting the win there. And then another great tag match, which should be really fun to watch. SoCal Uncensored, Scorpio Sky, uh, Sky and Frankie Kazarian, of our SoCal Uncensored taking on the Lucha Bros, the Pentagon and Phoenix should be another awesome. It's an awesome weekend of wrestling. It's going to be amazing. So stay tuned for all of that. It's going to be amazing. Stay tuned for updates, of course, on social media as I make out those wonderful updates as you guys follow along. Follow me wherever you find me on social media, Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter and Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook and Instagram to get all the updates there. Hope you guys have had a good one. Have a great one. I'll be back with another great episode episode coming soon of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Too sweet. Love you. See you next time. <laughs>